1: My new thing I'm going to do every time. chaka chaka beep. <laughs> beep
0: beep
1: Ola, Rome. Rome. Ola, Rome. Hello, Rome criminals. Wow, I don't know where what just happened I to love me. that. Ola, Rome criminales. We yeah. love
0: you guys. Hi, welcome. Oh my gosh, did you enjoy that last episode? Because that was crazy. My big bad Great wedding.
1: Crazy. Also, I keep thinking about garlic paste
0: oh yeah your story oh geez you guys if you have not listened to that one as soon as you're done with this episode go back and listen to the big the last episode it is absolutely bonker town, bonker town. it's bonker town oh, it is gosh.
1: it's crazy and it's uh it's i feel like it's one that people know about but maybe yeah. it's not covered a lot well, the
0: details are psychotic i i, I just am like it's just so wild to me. It yeah, you know. How do we
1: how do how do how do things get there?
0: Yeah, from family. Anyways, we yeah. don't have to I don't want to divulge if you've actually haven't listened to it yet cuz it's very good. Um hi guys, I'm Vanya. What's up?
1: I'm Avran. How's it going? Pretty good. It's <laughs> the summer. It's like the dog days of the summer, right? It's hot as balls, man. <laughs> It is so hot. My dog has taken, (laughs) my dog loves to play, right? And he always wants to go outside. But now every time we go outside, at least like midday, we'll go out, he'll like, go to the bathroom pretty fast, which is not like Good. him. He likes to take his time and smell everything and pee right. a little on yeah. everything. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, what is wrong with, with males? <laughs> um, but now he like runs out. He like doesn't even lift his leg. He squat pees like a girl dog to get yeah, it all out. Yeah. If he has to do anything else, he does that. And then he drags, like he turns around he starts dragging me back wow. to the apartment.
0: Brody. He doesn't, he doesn't like the heat. Brody, buddy. Yeah, he's got a nice fur coat. The kids were actually talking about, our my kids were talking about Brody today. They're like, Brody has no
1: tail. No tail it's at true. all. Sorry, that's
0: my little four year old. He still uh, speaks with like a cute little child accent. I love like that. I love
1: the last time I spoke to your to your little four-year-old who he, he was like, Does Brody miss me? Yeah. He <laughs> and I does. was like, Oh my god, it's he does so say that. cute.
0: So yeah. cute. Um, okay, so Av, do you have any ROMs this week? Any crimes happening to
1: you? So I was trying so hard to think about this because I feel like we talked about this once. Like I should maybe cultivate Rom sure because that's right. something Me that too. we can control crime we can't always control that mm-hmm. unless I just feel like being a big a-hole and right you know <laughs> being an asshole to someone and we'll call it my crime but uh <laughs> I I had like a moment where I was really loving myself a couple nights Ooh, ago where good. you know it's weird I'm about to turn 40 and I feel like I don't often surprise myself because I'm pretty confident and comfortable and know who I am. But every once in a while, like something will happen. So I, my, uh, my husband just started this new gig. And this new gig is like at a fancier type bar. So there's more of like a a uniform to it. And he he came home and he was like, shit, a button fell off this, this vest. And I was like, Oh, that can't be hard to do. Right. And then I without even like, Googling or YouTubing or anything I sewed that button on in the perfect location Yay. it wasn't loose and I was like I just sewed I didn't even know I could do that Good job. and I just felt very like I can do things if I just try them well you're and very so,
0: creative like you used to paint all the time
1: I know I used to paint and draw and all kinds of stuff. I got to get back into it. That was also stopped by my beloved dog. So that's the crime. Brody has stolen my, oh my creativity. Gosh, I love it. Just kidding. He's the best thing ever. <laughs> um,
0: I don't really have a Rome, but I have to say, Av, I mentioned this on my other podcast, but I watched The Bear and it's so good. It delivered. Oh my gosh, you guys, on Hulu, it's called The Bear. Watch it. It is beyond.
1: If you have ever even for a moment worked in the restaurant industry, yeah. but also like more specifically, if you've ever worked in a kitchen, yeah. um, if you've ever just had a job that became your family. Oh my, it's so good. It's, I, yeah. I, and that like, I, I think we could call it like the penultimate episode. The second to last yeah. episode is one of the most brilliant. Yeah. Twenty, I think it's only. It's, it's only weird, episodes minutes. like vary in length. Some of them are forty, it's some of them are twenty. Work of art, the whole thing. But yes, the That, whole thing that is, episode, I was feeling like, I was like,
0: I was like, I need to chill the hell out after this episode because it. But it was so triggering. You
1: know, it is triggering, <laughs> and I just remember being like. The same reaction that people are having, like, you need to calm down, you know? But also at the same time, I felt myself going into like a Zen place yeah. where I was like, I've been there. Yeah. I've literally and been in this exact it. scenario. And all you have to do is like, basically like disappear inside yourself and just keep <laughs> keep moving on uh-huh. like autopilot, but uh-huh. not let any of the noise go in your ear holes. Because yeah. the amount of horrific shit I, in my lifetime that has been screamed at me in a kitchen. Yeah. And I don't even work in the kitchen. I'm just there to pick something up or ask a question. Yeah, you know? exactly.
0: I used to go into the walk-in and scream all the time.
1: Oh yeah, just That's because a good it, place. it's that,
0: and I'm not like a exploder, but I was. I would just go in and just like lose just my let mind. it out. Yeah, yeah. So my crime is. Uh, did you watch? Have you watched the first season or the sorry, the most recent season of Stranger Things?
1: Yes, I finished it. Okay, I've only no watched spoilers, the first episode. I guess. Yeah, I'm
0: not gonna. I'm not gonna spoil anything. Well. All I'm gonna say is this: I watched the first episode, and holy shit! The last five minutes, I fi- I I was actually scared.
1: I can't. It's so funny because okay. I watched the whole thing. I'm like trying to remember what the last. Five okay, minutes remember
0: were. the cheerleader goes into the trailer. Oh yep
1: yep 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 That whole it's thing. So yeah. what the yeah. hell? Like straight up horror movie. Like Stranger Things has Exorcist like several yeah. slash. I don't know. Oh, Vanya, I'm so excited for you because even though I agree with a lot of the criticism of the season of like, just have like more episodes or tell the story faster. We don't need, we don't need multiple two hour episodes, even though like I loved every second of it. Yeah. I didn't understand. They like do seven episodes, right? Uh And then they paused and then they just came out with the last two, but the last two are, it's four hours worth of Stranger Things in two episodes.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, four hours, and it's real fun. And I, for some reason, got it in my head it was the end of Stranger Things, like this was the last season, and I was wrong. Oh yeah, there will definitely be another season. Do they give you a cliffhanger? Well, they just definitely leave it in a place that if that had been the end of the series, I think people would have revolted. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) all right, got you. Yeah, so there you go.
0: There you have it. There's my crime. Um,
1: Yeah. This week, this week, guys. Just to, I guess walk away from our our little meandering and get you into the meat of this this rom crime the the nitty gritty if you will we did a a switcheroo again where i basically wanted to to do a crime so i told vanya you're gonna pick a movie but this time i actually didn't go all in and like send her the crime i just said i am gonna do a crime i want to do and you need to pick a rom crime that involves letters Love letters, anonymous letters from secret admirers, and, and which is funny because I feel like we recently have done a bunch of things with love letters. I, I just know. did that bodyguard story with the threatening letters. Oh, that's right. We did to all the boys I've loved before, which would have been a great one. That's true. So I'm excited to see what you've picked. Okay, but yes. So letters what I've picked
0: <laughs> with that in mind, I chose the 1987 rom rom com, uh, Roxanne.
1: Amazing. Which is
0: a film adaptation of Cyrano de Bergerac. And it was actually adapted by Steve Martin. And Cyrano de Bergerac is, so it's kind of like, it was a play written in verse that came out like in 1897 so super old and then that's it was based on an actual man from the 1600s or something like this who apparently was very uh, uh, he had a lot of panache that apparently the word panache Mm. came from Cyrano de Bergerac Um, he was very charming but he didn't. He had a big nose, so he had like not a lot of confidence because of that. And it's the same situation in this uh, film version. Can I look at those nose cards one more time? Oh, yeah. C.D. Bales had a small problem. They said it was big, but I didn't expect it to be big. <laughs> he could handle every situation. Except the one that mattered most. Um, I've locked out of my house.
1: Come on inside. I'll
0: get some tools. I don't have any clothes on. Maybe you'd like some wine with your nose. Cheese. I want to look like Diana Ross. I think she's fallen in love, but she doesn't know it yet. There's someone I think I should get to know better. His name's Chris McConnell. This time I want you to do it, Dave. I want you to cut the thing off! Maybe you could encourage him a little she wants somebody who looks like me and talks like you. Don't panic. Stay
1: calm. Stay calm. Because there is a heart here. That's good. That's okay. But it wants you worse to know. There's a possible 502 on Maine.
0: So why'd you say those things? Tell her you were afraid of words. Because I was afraid of worms,
1: Roxanne. Worms. Worms?
0: Love may be blind.
1: Get out. Get in. No, get out. Get in.
0: But hopefully, Roxanne isn't. Steve Martin. Hey! Daryl Hannah.
1: Why don't you just get that nose job? I did.
0: Roxanne. Steve Martin plays uh, Charlie C.D. Bales, the fire chief of a small town in, actually, it's in British Columbia, in Nelson. It's like a ski town. My husband and I watched the movie together. You can get it on Prime. You do have to rent it, Prime or Apple. It is really funny because it's supposed to be like this town where everybody's like, uh, vacationing, it's like all these hot people. um But anyway, uh the chief—he's a chief, and he's like I said, he's really smart. He's really intelligent. He's um, athletic. In in Cyrano de Bergerac, in the old one, he's like an amazing swordsman, you know, like ah. and even in this movie, he becomes—he's kind of like he can get out of anything. He even fights some dudes who make fun of him on the street. That's how the movie opens up. So his straight up only
1: weakness is he has a big nose.
0: Yeah, exactly. And he just thinks that no one could love him, not even an ugly person could love him. And then, by the way, in Cyrano, in the play, uh, he is pining after his distant cousin. <laughs> just, Which <funny. laughs> is a thing. I think people. I think people. Did got Steve together. Martin work that in? He to, did not. To Roxanne. Nope. No. Okay. No. And he. So. So this guy Charlie C D. We call him. He's super close to a lot of the people in the town. Everybody loves him. One of the People he's like super close to is this lady named Dixie. She owns a diner, and she's played by oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, she Shelly Duval.
1: Oh great! And so she, he's
0: like she's like her his bestie, um, and so he, they meet this woman named Roxanne, who is an astronomy PhD. D student and she comes to comes for the summer to like search for this comet. Okay. Uh yeah, and so she's she's really smart, she's really intelligent, she's absolutely stunning, played by Daryl Hannah.
1: Got it, got it. And weirdly, in yeah. the course of the last year, I have been told that I both look like Shelly Duval and like uh Daryl Hannah, who oh, so look very baby. different. <laughs> who look very different, and I was like, Shelly Duval, who's Shelly? And I was like, wait the the wife from the shining yeah and they were like yeah and I was like okay yeah <laughs> thank you because that's like my limited experience with her and she just looks terrified that whole movie
0: yeah so I was
1: like I don't you're like see thank it you. but I hope you're I hope I
0: cool it she was, was also bangs. in Popeye that's what I know her from when I was little little she olive oil olive oil in Popeye okay like, right? all right so, so that's hilarious so here's the thing um there's a new guy coming to the fire department who's because their whole fire department is like a bunch of yahoos like are just idiots nobody really knows how to like do it correctly but uh so they they're bringing this guy in from out of town his name's like christian or chris in 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 the cyrano he is christian he's like beautiful man and he's beautiful good looking everything's great but he's he's a moron and kind of like anyways they're at the bar not not um not seedy but like Roxanne, Dixie, so they're friends, and this other lady who's a bartender, but she's, like, just sitting with them. And she they see this guy, Chris, who's really good-looking, and she makes eye contact with him. Uh, meanwhile, they're having a conversation about, like, men are just, like, after one thing. If I could just get a guy who's just, like, a nice guy, this and that, and he, they're smiling, and he runs off to go throw up because he can't talk to her. So Wait, Ro- the hot guy? The hot guy can't. Yeah, he can't speak to her. He feels like, oh, So... Yeah. That's
1: hilarious. Well, I know, he's right? Aware. He's aware of his intellectual shortcomings so much so that it makes him vomit.
0: That's got to be it. And she, beco- Roxanne and CD become friends and they have an amazing chemistry together because, you know, they're both like smart and, you and cool. know, and cool yeah. and whatever. But even though Roxanne adores CD as a friend, she is physically attracted to Chris, you know, and... <sighs> Roxanne asks CD for help with him, with Chris. Seeing him, like so, so, so she sees him in the in the bookstore, and he buys a Sartre book for. for he, he she thinks he's intelligent. He is not, and <laughs> he tries. He also is like into her, so he tries to write a letter. Um, but then finally he convinces CD to write the letter for him, and of course the prose just flows out of him as he woo's Roxanne. And again, he, he they try to meet up. He feels sick. There's a point where she goes over to his house, and or sorry, he goes over to her house, and just seems like an asshole. He's like, "Your breasts are beautiful," or something like he says. Wait, who plays Chris? Um, it's the guy from uh, I think his name is Rick. No, what? Yeah, is it Rick Rossovich? I believe oh. it's the, he was he was in Top Gun, the original Top Gun. He played one of the okay. hot dudes in Top Gun. He didn't really work much after that because I don't want to be mean, but he I, he's pretty. has yes. A pretty face. Got yes. it. Got it. So
1: perfectly cast in
0: this role. Absolutely. So so he goes in to try and like talk to her. It doesn't work because she's like, get out. What is. Ugh. So then CD is there and he's like she comes out on her balcony and they have a conversation and CD ends up talking for him, and she's like fully into it. Feel it? Yes. Oh my gosh. She's like, oh, I love this man. And then he jumps in and boink, They boink each other. So not not CD, but Chris goes back in, and they do. So wait,
1: is like is CD whispering in Chris's ear, like what to say, or he's straight up saying? things? They tried to do thinks... that at first, and then eventually, it
0: he just started speaking for him.
1: Okay, because he's not even smart enough to repeat
0: what yeah. Steve Martin is saying. Awesome. And, and CD is truly in love with her. Mm-hmm. He loves her. She's beautiful. She's smart. She's funny. So then Roxanne has to go out of town for a week um, for some school thing and she leaves her hotel address with CD so Chris can continue to write her letters because it just makes her feel so great. Um, but instead of Chris, uh, instead of CD telling Chris, he just goes ahead and writes her three times a day. And Whoa. E- yeah, each letter is more beautiful than the next, more uh, romantic, you know. So, yeah, Chris is on his way to see Roxanne, but she, as she came home early, and so he leaves the letter behind to find Chris. Um, so CD is at Roxanne's. Um, let's see, what happens? So <laughs> I'm like, wait, at this point, I was falling asleep at the movie a little bit, but... Um, <laughs> He warns Chris that she may mention some letters because he didn't get a chance to really tell him about it. Um, and she tries to get Chris to be that man in the letters. So she's like, what's wrong? Like, why aren't you like acting, you know, because he's a dumbass in real life. Mm-hmm. And so then what happens? It's he, he He basically shows that he is an idiot and an asshole. He it, within the time she's gone, he Makes a connection with the bartender who was kind of Roxanne's friend, and they oh. they're uh, they're leaving for he's running off with her. They're going to like Tahoe where I guess the bartenders can make a lot of money. But he's it's a more true.
1: Yeah, what an idiot.
0: Yeah, um, that
1: kind of makes me think of that Golden Girls episode where, Ro- where Rose puts a an ad in the personals column and nobody responds. So then Dorothy and Blanche start writing her a letter from a, a guy named Isaac Newton. <laughs> And then there's like a big dance because there's always a dance. I I was like, who knew you went to so many dances as an an old lady? Uh, But then uh, Rose goes into the phone book and she finds the only Isaac Newton who lives in Miami and she invites him to the dance. And he's also real daft and kind of odd. Yeah. And so he actually accepts, even though he has no idea who she is, but she thinks he's been writing her these beautiful, wonderful letters <gasps> the whole time. So it was a Cyrano episode of Golden Girls.
0: Oh my gosh, that's that's amazing. It's a great trope. Mm-hmm. So at this point, C.D. comes back. He doesn't know that Roxanne knows the truth at this point, you know, that he didn't write the letter, or that C.D. wrote the letters, that Chris didn't write the letters. And she asks him to read one of them. And it reveals... That he's the author, he reveals that he's the author, and she she explodes in anger. She's super mad that he lied to her, and but then he's a dick back because he's like, well, apparently only my pretty words just get you right into bed, and then oof, ouch. yeah. And that was just so rude. Um, So yeah, before he can be more of a dick, he starts smelling the air with his beautiful nose, and he smells a fire. So before anyone calls this fire in, he goes to the firehouse. He gets everybody. He wakes everybody up, and it's it's a barn that's on fire that could actually take down the entire town. But they uh, they are absolutely able to clear, you know, to put the fire out, and um, Roxanne has finally dis- come to her senses, declaring that she actually loves him. It doesn't matter if he has a hideous nose. Yeah. And that's kind of it. I mean, you know?
1: It's a life-saving nose. Yeah. It's a life-saving a, bar- a barn-saving nose.
0: <laughs> the thing I didn't like about this movie, I'll tell you, that I didn't love, and you can tell this was, like, based on something on, from the 1800s, is she was... When when Roxanne has her like freak out and she's so upset, she's like, "I just this these letters made me feel it. It felt misogynistic in a weird backwards way. Like I like mm-hmm. she didn't really like the way she's looking for a guy is to give her her life. You know, you don't need to look for a guy to give you all the confidence in your world. I don't That's know. That's
1: right, Roxanne. You had a lot going for you. You're an astronomy PhD. I mean, right." <laughs> you're Daryl Hannah so you know you're pretty yeah
0: and there is Um, one moment in the beginning of the movie where she like gets she's trying to feed the cat or something and she gets locked out of her house naked and so she goes to the firehouse to help to get someone that's this is how actually her and C.D. meet and uh, she just invites him Once she gets there she just he, he breaks into her house and invites her in for wine I'd be like get the fuck out of my house yeah, like I don't know you
1: and thank you for rescuing me while I'm running around town naked.
0: Yeah, it's so stupid.
1: So, but That's, actually, I, I love this movie. I lo- I I hate
0: this movie and love this movie. It's just like any movies that have like a little bit of prob- problems from the eighties and whatnot. But the thing that I do love is that it um, has Steve Martin, and he's very, he's very good in this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And she's pretty he's good. Great. Yeah. Steve Martin is always good. So fun, yeah. So there Very you go.
0: I, I just love. Uh, I did. We did scenes from Cyrano when I was in college, and I do remember. It's the idea of. There's a that big scene. Basically, it's the yeah. balcony scene where you know he's, he's giving telling his words.
1: Christian what to say. I love that in this movie. They're like, "Eff it, Christian can't even say it. We'll just have Steve Martin say it." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like she wouldn't know. He has a pretty distinct, sounding exactly. Voice. I know. <laughs> um, but you know, that's the beauty of movies. You gotta suspend suspend is it something suspend your disbelief and just believe you just have to believe well weirdly I won't lie I don't know I don't think I've seen that (gasps) but I am because I am a you know, like you, I was. I majored in theater. I studied theater. I'm very familiar with Cyrano. Yeah. So the plot I knew. But I'll have to check that out, knowing that certain aspects you of know, it
0: pissed piss me off. Yeah, yeah, I watched it multiple times because my cousin Tamar, who when I was little, like I didn't get to spend the night anywhere, but I could spend the night at my cousin's house. We would watch it. We had the VHS and we watched it so many times. Like her nice. parents had a certain amount of VHS tapes that we would just like rotate. And mm-hmm. watch over one. One of them, by the way, was the best little chick. The best little whorehouse. Wait, what is it? whorehouse in Texas? Yeah, the best little whorehouse. Chicken horse. Chicken. No, oh my. The best God. little whorehouse in Texas. Yeah, we watched with that Dolly one. Parton. Yeah, and it's
1: a musical yep. about sex it's workers. Great. Yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. I love that. That was one of the ones you guys were allowed to watch. It.
0: What, I know. Uh, what you? <laughs> I know.
1: So. It's okay, I was watching like Cliffhanger and Jaws and the movie Alive about that rugby team that crashes and eats each other when I was like 10. So it also explains a lot about who I am (laughs) and why I have my certain sensibilities. We're influenced at a young age. Um, Wonderful pick, (laughs) wonderful pick. So the letter writer I'm going to be sharing a story about is the opposite of a Cyrano or a CD. There is no romance. There is just malice and venom and evil, I guess, or just awfulness. Um, Vanya, have you ever heard of the Circleville letter writer? No, I haven't. Okay. So it's actually a pretty well-known unsolved mystery because of unsolved mysteries that did, I guess it was like, I watched the episode and it was there, I want to say- It was the celebratory episode where they had solved their 200th unsolved mystery. So like through doing the show, they were celebrating having just had the 200th mystery get solved because of the show, right? And this is the one of the stories that they tell is the story of the Circleville letter writer. So uh, that's the story I'm going to be sharing today. Um, It's season seven, episode six of the original I love that I didn't write that down I just remember because I wow. I, ha- I had to find it um, with Robert stack it's very old school and it's kind of fun for the show because this is a story about somebody who writes anonymous letters and when unsolved Mysteries came to town they too received a letter and we'll get to that oh okay so I called this person the circleville letter writer so this story takes place in circleville ohio which is a very small town about 20 miles away from columbus ohio and um at the time of the story like in this this we're going to be back in the 70s here i think it was like population of 11,000 today it only has a population of less than 14,000 so still a very small town uh, it's famous for its pumpkin festival that it has Fun. every odd every autumn, and I guess the population during this festival jumps from, you know, less than fourteen thousand to over three hundred thousand. Whoa! Yeah. yeah, so it's a big ass pumpkin festival. If you're into that, <laughs> I guess look into uh, this this particular little town next autumn. Okay, so. In the year 1976, the residents of Circleville begin receiving anonymous letters. Letters detailing all of their secrets. Like this person seems to know everything about everyone. But one Circleville resident in in particular would become this writer's main target. And that is a woman named Mary Gillespie. Now, Mary was um, absolutely, will post photos, like, Kind of shockingly beautiful. Like, really, like, probably was, I think they actually said on the 48 Hours I watched, oh yeah, Sources, 48 Hours, Unsolved Mysteries, and then this podcast called Whatever Remains, which is actually, like, a multi-part podcast series just about this. Oh, wow. Anyway, but she's, like, stunning. She was married to her high school sweetheart, Ron. They had two daughters. Mary worked as a school bus driver, and I think that was why I was surprised when I saw her picture, because I guess I just don't picture, like, Beauty queens as bus drivers, sure. But she was a school bus driver, and I wrote and an absolute babe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I wrote down. Um, I guess in the in this particular small town and in this time period, because it was a small town, busing was big. It was how you got all your kids to school, right? So it was probably like one school for several small towns, and so it was actually a pretty good job and like afforded them a nice middle class life between her having that job and her husband working. Okay, so. In March of 1977. So this is, you know, these letters have already been getting mailed out to various residents for about a year when Mary Gillespie receives her first of many threatening letters. And this first letter reads, Mrs. Gillespie, stay away from Massey. Don't lie when questioned about knowing him. I know where you live. I've been observing your house and know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. Everyone concerned has been notified, and everything will be over soon. Okay. So who's Massey? That would be Gordon Massey, who was the superintendent of the school district Mm. that she drove the bus for, right? So Mary sees this, and she's clearly, like, unsettled because it's basically like, I'm watching you. I know you have children, and stay away from this person. But she decides, okay, whatever. She just like puts the letter in a drawer, doesn't mention it. Until just a few days later, she gets another letter that reads, lady. (laughs) This is your last chance to report him. I know you are a pig and will prove it and shame you out of Ohio. A pig sneaks around and meets other women's husbands behind their backs only. Causes families, homes and marriages to suffer. You are such a pig and I will prove it. Why doesn't he come to your rescue? Or he has or has he too much to lose, spelled loose? Also, there's like a colon every five words. His wife, in which pigs, like you, take advantage of his $28,500 a year job or his kickbacks. How's your little girl? Will she grow up to be like you? So Ew. It's, it's a little bit um, nonsensical in terms of like, obviously, it's clearly a threat, like You're having an affair with this guy. He's not going to rescue you from me because he's got too much to lose. Also, don't forget I know about your kids. Um, Very, very, very uh, unsettling, I can imagine. So Mary's freaked out, but she's just hoping that this is going to stop, right? She's like, I don't understand why this is happening, but I'm just going to continue to ignore it. Um, So she, again, hides this letter away and doesn't mention it to her husband or to anyone. But then a letter came to the house addressed to Mr. Gillespie. And it read, Mr. Gillespie, you're doing a lot for her. No one cares that much for anyone this day. Make him come to her rescue, but he won't. He's being awful good lately. He knows what he must do, but he won't. Make her admit the truth. Call the school board. His affairs must stop. Everyone will know soon. Think of yourself. Okay, so Ron's like, Mary yeah what the fuck is this <sighs> I don't actually know if that's what he said but he shows her the letter so Mary's like oh Jesus I was ugh. okay she pulls out her she's like I received these a couple of weeks ago I there's no merit here I'm not having an affair with the superintendent I just I I thought they'd stop uh so she basically shows him the, lev- the letters now they are This is a small town. It's the 70s. Obviously, she works in the school district. This would be quite scandalous if rumors were going around that she was having an affair with the superintendent. They're both married, you know, that kind of thing. So they decide, you know what, we're not going to feed the rumor mill here. And they're going to keep these letters to themselves. But they keep coming. They keep receiving letters. And they're getting more and more threatening. Uh, Basically, the letters at one point tell Ron, if he doesn't tell the truth about the affair, that he's going to be killed. Ew. yet another letter says catch them together and then kill them both you know so it's escalating from like you need to stop this and also admit it to like if you don't stop this people are going to be dead um oh yeah and then mary receives a letter telling her if she doesn't end her affair with massey that this writer was going to go public and tell everyone and they would do it via television cb radio and they would put billboards up all over town if she didn't if she didn't come clean. So at this point, Ron and Mary decide to loop a select few people in on what they're dealing with at home with these letters. So they invite over Ron's sister, Karen, her husband, Paul Freshour, and then her husband, Paul's sister. So they have three basically family members over. They explain. They show them the letters, explain what's going on. Now, Mary at this point believes she knows who these letters are from. Oh. She thinks it is fellow bus driver, David Longberry, Uh, who had asked her out on a date and she declined because, you know, she's married and has kids. And ever since she rejected him, he'd been really, really nasty to her at work. And so she's like, I think this is him, like, suggesting that somehow I'm this, like, unfaithful wife, you know, and saying all this nasty stuff about me. Uh, And so the five of them, Mary, Ron, Karen, Paul, and Paul's sister, are like, let's write this letter writer a couple motherfucking letters. So they write five letters that they're going to send to uh, Longberry, David Longberry, that basically are like, we know this is you <laughs> and we will expose you as this anonymous asshole sending everybody letters unless you stop, 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 stop. And after the letters are sent out for a few blessed weeks, no more letters. And they're like, woo, we scared him. It's over. Hallelujah. But, oh, my God, they were so wrong. These letters are going to continue coming into this community for almost two decades. Let's just put that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Is it someone who works in the post office? (laughs) Right. So, oh, this is a good thing. I, I didn't write it in the story. But one thing that's noted is every letter that they get is postmarked from Columbus, Ohio, but there's no return address. So whoever's mailing them is putting them in a mailbox or dropping them off at a post office In Columbus, Ohio, but Uh there is no, like, from this address. Also, remember, 70s. It's not like there's surveillance cameras or anything like that. However, I do think they probably, if they'd taken it, if the police had really wanted to catch this person, they probably could have. Okay. Instead of new letters arriving at the Gillespie house, the Circleville letter writer started posting signs all over town. And these signs were worse than any of the letters they had received because now the letter writer was claiming that Gordon Massey, that's the superintendent, and Ron and Mary's 12-year-old daughter Ew. were having a sexual relationship. So first of all, that's not a relationship. That's pedofi- like yeah. pedophilia and a massive crime. And if that were in fact true in any way, like... Go to the cops, don't post signs. And it's it's an interesting swap, right? From like a moral it seemed like somebody who's like a morality police, like you can't have affairs and get away with it, to like posting public signs about a twelve year old. Like, fuck you, letter writer.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. So this of course horrifies both parents, but Ron specifically does not want his daughter's life ruined by whoever this asshole is so he starts getting up early and that's just this like oh good dad every single day he gets up extra extra early and drives all over town collecting these signs and removing them before everybody else is up and about and before his daughter could see them you know like on her way to school on the bus or something So the threatening letters and crude signs keep being delivered, keep getting posted, and it's been over a year. And this brings us to August 19th, 1977. And this was the day that would be the last straw for Ron Gillespie. Now, Mary is out of town in Florida with her sister-in-law, Karen, when a call came in to the Gillespie household around 10 p.m. Now, nobody knows, again, no caller ID, none of this stuff. No one knows who the caller was or what was said. But immediately after this phone call, Ron hopped up, told his daughter that he was going to confront the letter writer, making his daughter believe that's who had been on the phone was like somebody on the phone had either told them who the letter writer was or it was the letter writer. Um, he grabbed his shotgun, kissed the kids goodbye, and hopped into his pickup truck. Uh-huh. So any information we have about what happened in that home before he left with his shotgun in the truck is what his daughters could tell us, right? Um, and so all they said was he got a phone call. He said he told us he was going to confront the letter writer. That's what he said. And then he left. Um Nobody knows to this day for sure if Ron ever did confront the letter writer or who he believed it was, because not too long after he'd left his home, he was found dead in his truck that had crashed into a tree less than 10 miles from his house. Underneath Ron's body was his gun, and it appeared, when police looked in the chamber, that one bullet had been fired of the, there was like eight 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 uh, bullets and one shell casing meaning like one had actually been fired seven bullets remained and just a shell casing or something i don't know how guns work but one bullet was missing had been fired however there's no way for them to know when there's no way for them to know if like he was just raving stark mad driving down this country road firing his gun be like i'm coming for you um or if it had been fired like weeks earlier you know um but that was curious to them that the gun was found kind of like underneath his body with a missing bullet Now, Sheriff Dwight Radcliffe, who is the sheriff for um, the whole county, it starts with a P. I don't know why I didn't write it down. I think it's like Pickerton or Pickington County. Uh, Initially, like his first thought upon arriving on the scene is that foul play was involved so much so that he had a suspect in mind when he discovered Ron was dead. So he hauled this suspect in. By the way, nobody has ever been told who this was because the suspect was given a polygraph test and passed, was released, and was now no longer considered involved in the situation. I just think if you find a man in a car accident and you immediately go to foul play and you know who you think did it, like a polygraph test isn't going to cut it. Mm -mm. But I guess in this case, it did. Um, and then the, after the coroner's examination and report came out that showed Ron's blood alcohol content was uh, 0.16, which is almost twice the legal limit, Cheryl Re- Cheryl, Sheriff Radcliffe changed his whole tune about what happened here, said that there was no signs of foul play, and concluded that Ron di- died in a drunk driving accident. But here's the deal. Ron's family, especially his brother-in-law Paul, who, who he considered his best friend, Paul considered Ron his best friend, was like, Ron was not a heavy drinker. You had a suspect that you won't tell us who it was. Why are you just changing your tune? Like, you need to investigate. Um, And so he thinks this is like some kind of cover-up, right? So, uh, and he says specifically to the police, the letters that Ron received from this anonymous writer said that he was going to die, and now he's dead. You need to investigate this. Right. and Ron's own daughters, who were home with him the night he left, they remember him leaving that night and that he did not seem intoxicated when he left. And in fact, like he had kissed them both goodbye and neither one of them had even smelled alcohol on his breath. So even if he'd had like a beer or two, like he was not known to them. Again, young girls. Who That's knows? True. But you know who else didn't believe that this was an accident? The Circleville letter writer. <gasps> So soon after Ron's death, several Circleville residents received anonymous letters accusing Sheriff Radcliffe and cor- the coroner, Dr. Ray Carroll, of a cover-up. The letter writer said they falsified the coroner's report so they could say it was a drunk driving accident instead of a murder. But again, it has been closed. It's a closed case, drunk driving accident, end of story. But the writer is like the sheriff and the coroner involved in a massive conspiracy to you know, hide the fact that he was murdered. When he was really, you know, he was murdered. He wasn't just drunk driving. But life keeps moving on in Circleville. And so the letters keep coming, sent to all of the citizens. And uh, shortly after Ron's death, so here we're going to get into some okie-dokie-okies. Uh, Mary started dating none other than Gordon Massey, the superintendent that she'd been accused of having an affair with. Now, she eventually admits that they had been having an affair, (gasps) but swears on her life it didn't start until after the letters started. But I say to you... Yeah, right. If you get threatening letters that are like, end this affair or I'll kill you, you don't start having an affair with that person. No, you stay away from that person. You maybe end the affair... So now they're openly dating. Ah, that is
0: crazy.
1: Which again is why she continues to be like the main person this this letter writer seems to have the most venom for. I'm sure that did not help. And she's like, okay, I guess we were having an affair now. uh, Ron's family is struggling as well. Karen, Ron's sister and her husband, Paul Freshour, are, are getting divorced after Paul discovered Karen was cheating on him. And then I put, I guess the letter writer really did know all kinds of crazy shit and that these residents of Circleville were up to a lot of uh, secretive behavior that it turns out um, the letter writer is accurate about. So anyway, also Karen's having an affair. So she and Paul are getting divorced. um, And because of it being because of her infidelity, Paul... Gains full custody of their kids, gets the house, and now Karen is living in a trailer in Mary's backyard, all right? So things are rough for Ron's sister. And for the next six years, Vanya, these letters keep coming in droves. I think they said in, I mean, I never got an exact, but there are probably like thousands, if not tens of thousands of letters that this person wrote over the course of the the two decades that this mystery was going on. So the harassment uh, campaign against Mary Gillespie also showed no signs of slowing down after her her husband died. Um, And with horrible signs about her going up and her daughter constantly, like all the time being posted along the bus route that she drove to school. So not only are they posting horrible signs, but they also happen to know where like Mary's route is. And so all of these signs are like for her and like a big middle finger to her. And then on February 7th, 1983, one particular sign along the route had gone too far. It involved her daughter. I'm not even going to bother reading it because it's just horrific. Um, and so Mary's like, fuck this. Now, she's about to go get students. So she's an empty bus, just so you know. <laughs> it's an empty bus. She pulls the bus over. She goes, she gets out. She runs to the sign and she starts tearing it down. But as she's like pulling it off of the post, she notices that on the pole that the sign was posted on Mm -hmm. is a box attached to the post that is also attached to the sign with twine. And she's like, F this. She just rips the whole thing out, takes it on the bus with her, goes, gets her job done, you know, takes, picks up the kids, drops them off. But when she gets home, she's like, "Okay, I got to open this box. Now, it had been painted black and painted shut. So it was quite difficult for her to open it. But when she finally gets the box open, she is shocked to find a pistol inside. I remember how I said it had been like con- the box was connected to the actual sign with twine and the box was also like attached to the post. Inside the box, that same twine that had been connecting the sign in the box was wrapped around the trigger of this gun, meaning that it was a booby trap meant to shoot whoever pulled this sign down and this sign was specifically posted on along Mary's bus route and was incredibly offensive about her kid. And so it's fair to say that the letter writer assumed it would be Mary who would pull this sign right. down. And so we have now graduated folks from threatening and harassing to trying to murder. So she immediately is like, Oh, Oh, I guess we got to go to the cops. And actually, Mary didn't initially think it was a real gun. She thought maybe it was like a prop gun meant right. to scare her. But when she gets to the police, they realize not only is it a real gun, but it is loaded. Oh, Jesus. And so they're the ones that are like, no, this is a this was a serious attempt on your life. So... Whoever had done this, who had ever created this booby trap, had attempted to file off the serial number, but they didn't do a very good job. And they were able to kind of recover it, you know, like underneath where they had tried to scratch it off. And they traced the gun to a man named Wesley Wells, who works uh, um, in Columbus, Ohio, at Anheuser-Busch at that factory. So when police contact Wesley Wells about the gun, he's like, "Oh yes, that was my gun, but I sold that to my supervisor a couple of months earlier." And they're like, "Okay, who's your supervisor?" Wait for it, Vanya. Wait for it. Wait for it. Paul Freshour, <laughs> Karen's ex-husband and Mary's brother-in-law and supposed best friend of Ron. So now you guys know not only that the gun belonged to Paul, but that he worked in Columbus, Ohio, where all of those letters were sent from. Those are just two interesting, damning pieces of information. So in the meantime, as police are, you know, conducting their investigation, Mary also comes to police with information because remember I mentioned Karen is living in her backyard in a trailer. She had started telling Mary that she thought that her ex-husband Paul was the letter writer because at she had found three or four envelopes that had the same. So these letters, sorry, I should have mentioned this at the top, had a very specific style of Block handwriting, all caps, very specific. And so the minute you would see like your name written that way, you would know who this Mm. was. Like you're like, oh, it's one of those. Um and so she told Mary that she had found three or four envelopes with the same block lettering addressed and stamped, but not yet mailed out and sealed shut, hidden in different places in their home. Well, and I know, and at one point she found a letter that had been like someone had tried to flush it in the toilet (gasps) but it had gotten clogged and she was her son actually fished it out and she tried to like you know see if she could figure out what it said but because of the water and everything it was all kind of dissolved but she did think that she could read the word gillespie
0: Hmm. and as
1: i mentioned the letters about mary weren't just sent to mary like remember i mentioned everyone in circleville's receiving letters she's She's mentioned in a lot of them to the other random members of this community just to like talk shit on her, I guess. Um, so Mary actually goes to the police with this information about Paul and uh, the evidence against him is stacking up. So even though there are all these like signs being like, it's him, it's him, it's been him all along, his behavior it would not suggest that. So when approached by police, He's not only like super cooperative. He's like, please come check my home, please. Blah, 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 blah. My gun was stolen in January. Um, and they're like, well, did you file a police report? And he's like, I didn't file a police report. But he kind of suggests that he he thinks one of his family members stole the gun and he's not going to report them. And that's why he didn't do anything. But the gun was stolen. Uh, sorry, one second. but also why did thought. he
0: buy the gun in the first place?
1: Well, exactly, because he'd only bought it a couple months earlier. And um, I think when they asked him that, he was like, you know, just for protection, there's this creepy letter writer, like, threatening everybody. Convenient answer. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, Uh, They asked him about, yeah. So police then bring him down to the station. And while there, Sheriff Radcliffe gave Paul one of the actual letters from the Circle of a Letter Writer. Hands it to him, then gives him a piece of paper and says, "Okay, I want you to copy this letter down on a piece of paper, and I want you to copy it to like to make it look exact as close as you can to looking exactly the same." Okay, this is where you're supposed to go. What exactly? What? Because in what universe would you make it you, look the same? Are you saying could you just try to make it look like exactly like that? Because how is that admissible? Like you've asked, you've instructed him to copy something instead of being like, will you write these words down in all caps for me? Or whatever, whenever yeah. you're trying to do a handwriting sample. Idiots. Um And a lot of people, well, no, this, this will be used as evidence against him. But a lot of people in hindsight are like, what the actual fuck? Like, yeah. that's not how you conduct a handwriting um, sample to like verify if this person wrote it. So after Paul wrote the letter, a handwriting expert took a look at it. Then took a look at the original and concluded that Paul could be, he could be the letter writer based on the fact that, you know, he copied it exactly as it was, but not definitively cannot say like conclusively that it was him, but it could be him. Then they gave Paul a polygraph test. Actually, they gave him four polygraph tests and he failed every single one of them. So after that being like the final nail in his coffin, you know, it's his gun I mean, His wife thinks he's been writing the letters. So he's arrested and charged with attempted murder. Now, they could not prove, as I mentioned, they said it could have been him. But there was no way to prove that he was the person writing the letters. So he's not charged with like harassment or anything that you could. I don't even know what you could charge someone in the 1970s or 1980s with when it came to stuff like harassment and stalking. But they don't charge him with anything related to the letters. They only charge him with the attempted murder of Mary Gillespie. But even though he wouldn't be charged with a crime connected to those letters, they would play a huge role in his trial. Which, again, is like, wait, what? That's not how it's supposed to work. Okay, So the judge in the case allowed 39 of the letters to be used as evidence against Paul. Now, his defense objected because, hello, he's not on trial for writing those letters. You can't prove he wrote them. How can they be used as evidence against him if we can't say that he wrote them? But the judge is like tell you what, I could let all 2000 plus letters in if you want and the defense is like, "Oh, just kidding, 39 school." Well, that's fine. Um
0: 2000 letters.
1: I mean, so many letters, Vanya. So another strike against Paul was his alibi or I guess lack of one because it turns out that on February 7th, the day of the failed booby trap attempt on Mary's life, Paul had called in sick to work that day. So that coupled with those You know, they're basically Mm -hmm. saying that he's the letter writer, even though they have not proven that in any way. They're saying he is. He has no alibi. The gun belonged to him. With all of this information, he is convicted, found guilty and convicted of attempted murder and sentenced to seven to 25 years in prison. Wow. So immediately after this mania, the town of Circleville is split in half, like half of them believe finally the circle of a letter writer had been caught all of this madness all of these raving ranting mad crazy letters are going to come to an end while the other half believed that paul was completely innocent and was being set up now there are a couple people that people thought might have sent set him up one would be sheriff radcliffe because he was you know he'd already been confused of doing or confused um like called out for maybe covering up ron's death and that it was really a murder. Apparently, he also was really annoyed with Paul for always bothering him about looking into Ron's death Ugh. after he had closed it. Other people thought maybe Karen, his ex-wife, yeah. was framing him. Um. So the town's literally split in half. And on the 48 hours, it's interesting because they interview people from Circleville that like knew, you can tell they knew Paul, and they liked Paul. But they're like, never in a million years did we think that he was this person, that he was capable of any of this. But for those who felt relief that the letter writer's reign of terror was finally over, well, they got, a, they got a huge punch to the gut when after Paul was found guilty and sent to jail, oh yeah, those letters, they kept coming. No way. Mm-hmm. Oh, They God. kept coming even after uh, Paul lost his pen and paper privileges. And they kept coming even after Paul was placed in solitary confinement to prevent him from sending the letters. And they kept coming even after the police had searched his cell for Like multiple times for any signs of any kind of evidence that he had written these letters. Um, Paul himself actually received a letter while he was in jail from the Circleville Letter Writer that read, Fresh Hour. Now, when are you going to believe you aren't getting out of there? I told you two years ago, when we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all? No one wants you out. No one. Flipping the page. The joke... Is on you. Ha ha. Tell no one of this letter. I saw the paper. Great news. Great. The sheriff loved it. Ha ha. Do you believe it now? Do you? Now, again, this is clearly out of some kind of context that we don't fully understand. Right. But it's a taunting, you know, like everyone thinks that you're doing this. Everyone thinks that this letter that you're reading right now, you're somehow sending it out, even though I know you're not. Now, when Paul initially went up for parole after seven years when he was eligible. They won't give him parole because they say he is continuing to terrorize the residents of Circleville with these letters, even though the prison warden is testifying on his behalf saying there is no possible way that Paul Freshour has anything to do with these letters being sent out. It's not possible. It is not possible. But he is denied parole and does not actually get paroled until 10 years after he went to prison. So he spends 10 years in jail. And in 1994... Um, he's paroled. He main, maintained his innocence the entire time that he was in jail and up through his death in 2012. He always stated that he was not only, like, not guilty of trying to kill Mary, but that he was not the Circleville letter writer. Conveniently enough, the letters from the Circleville letter writer also stopped abruptly in 1994. But the very last letter that they wrote was sent to the people at Unsolved Mysteries, when the show was coming to town to do an episode on this anonymous letter writer, and they received a postcard that read, Forget Circleville, Ohio. Do nothing to hurt Sheriff Radcliffe. If you come to Ohio, you El sickos will pay, the Circleville letter writer. Now, of course, Unsolved Mysteries was like, awesome. Now we're part of the story. We're definitely coming. Um, And weirdly enough, in the 48 hours that I watched... Those same, like, neighbors and friends that believe in Paul Freshour's innocence did say that Karen... So, like, Paul Freshour participated because he'd been paroled. Yeah. And he basically, like, laid out, no, I'm innocent. There's this. There's that. There's all these, you know, all the theories that are... That abound. Um, but the neighbors specifically said that Karen, his ex-wife, did not uh, participate And specifically asked people not to participate. And then when they were doing the interviews and filming everything, she, according to these people, again, this is unverified other than these people, she would sit in her car outside watching who was participating and would even take pictures of them so that she could, like, keep track of who had gone on the show that she had asked people not to go on. Okay. Hmm. So... Here's the deal with why people think it's Karen. There's a lot of theories about who this could be. And then I want to tell you what I think at the end. Yeah, I I can't wait. I feel like I've listened to... This is unsolved. This is not answered. Yeah, it was a famous unsolved mystery. But a lot of people believe it was Karen for a couple of reasons. As I mentioned, they had gotten divorced and she'd lost everything. Custody of her children, her home. If Paul goes to prison, all of that becomes her again, right? So that's motive. The reason people believe it was her is that a witness came forward while Paul was in prison that had not been, or maybe it was before. A witness came forward that said they were also a bus driver who was driving along the same route where the booby trap had been found about 25 minutes before Mary had driven down. And she saw a tall, sandy-haired man standing next to the sign. But as she drove closer, he kind of like turned away and acted like he was taking a pee so that she wouldn't see his face. But she said he was tall, he had sandy hair, and he was standing next to a yellow El Camino. Now, Paul Freshour was short and had jet black hair. So there's already that. But Karen's new boyfriend was tall and had sandy colored hair. And her brother drove a yellow El Camino. So that evidence was like in official police reports, that like witness testimony. Like there was documentation of that, however, that was not brought up ever in Paul's trial or anything like that. So, a lot of people do think that it was Karen. Um, I don't know that it that I 100% am like going there, but let's talk talk some theories, right? Okay, so there's a couple of people along the way that this letter writer could like. Why can't I think of the word? Not convinced. Like accused. Oh, my God, Avrin. Right, Accused right. Okay. of crimes. So we start with the affair. It turns out that even though this story, when told like this or in other mediums, is always starts with Mary. But actually, before Mary got her first letter, Gordon Massey, the superintendent, had received a letter, as had the school board and the president of the school board, all saying that he was acting inappropriately towards the school's bus drivers he was sexually harassing them he was having affairs with some of them and that it was making the women that were uncomfortable with his affection and attention like feel unsafe at work Mm. um you know like pretty like letters i could get on board with if that was in fact true which we know the affair was true i don't know about like rampant sexual harassment of bus drivers but Again, this person seemed to know a lot and seemed to not be wrong about stuff. But it actually started there. And then over the course of these years, so I mentioned the Circleville letter writer thought Ron had been murdered and was writing that Sheriff Radcliffe and the coroner were covering it up, right? Well, in 1993, the very same coroner, Dr. Ray Carroll, was uh, charged with 12 counts of pedophilia, <gasps> including um, gross immorality, sex crimes, corruption of a minor, pornography, obscenity, and uh. indecent exposure, so that coroner was a was not a good person. And I guess it's entirely possible to suggest that if you would engage in pedophilia, if you're a pedophile, maybe you'd dummy up a like a blood alcohol content on an autopsy report yeah. if someone asked you to. Not no moral scruples there. Also. Remember David Longberry, who Mary thought was the letter writer? Right. And they all, and they'd sent him letters. Well, in 1999, David Longberry became a fugitive after he, and I'm just going to throw this out there, trigger warning, trigger warning, after he uh, forcibly raped an 11-year-old girl. <sighs> he then went on the run and was never captured. Um, depending on the source, it's some people say that he's still a fugitive others uh, things I read said that he died by suicide uh, but he disappeared in 1999 um, which means that he was still in the Circleville area all the way through the time of the letters right and also a terrible person now there are some people that believe that several different people wrote these letters like how on earth did one human being know all of this shit and have the time to write all these letters Uh, There's one theory that believes that originally those first letters that Mary received, that they were from David Longberry, the bus driver Mm -hmm. who she'd rejected. And then uh, Karen Freshour started being the letter writer after she got divorced from Paul Hmm. to frame him. You know, there's the theory that she framed Paul with the help of her boyfriend or brother. Um, And there's also a speculation. Remember how Paul said he didn't report the gun stolen because he believed a member of his family had taken it and he wasn't willing to get a member of his family in trouble. A lot of people think that it was his, um, his son, Mark Freshour Uh, who had stolen the gun. And um, he actually died by suicide in 2012, which some people attribute to the guilt that he felt over helping frame his dad for this crime. Again, this is all, these are theories. Everything I'm saying is theories. Uh, Other people think Paul, Was the writer. It was him all along. They got it right. Uh, And the way that he pulled it off when he was in prison is that he had pre written several letters before going to jail. And then he did have some accomplice willing to put them in the mail for him. However, I don't believe that's accurate because apparently those letters, a lot of them during the time he was in jail, were accusing the prosecutor who had prosecuted Paul. Which again is damning. They're going after the prosecutor. Right. But it but accuse the prosecutor of getting he was married of getting a school teacher pregnant and then murdering her. Holy. Now shit. it the murdering part not true, but the getting a school teacher pregnant who wasn't his wife was true. Oh. But those are current events, yeah. right? That that can't be like pre written. So I feel like that kind of pokes holes in um in that theory. Now, on 48 hours, they brought on two like pros. Uh, one was a profiler and one was a hand write, like handwriting expert. So the forensic profiler believes based on the you know several, several, several letters that she read, that the writer of these letters is a woman and that it is just one person. Yeah, okay. Based on her profiling skills. But secondly, which was a handwriting expert who says she didn't want to know any details of the case. She didn't want to know anything that I just told you. She just wanted to look at the samples of of the person who had been convicted and the letters. And she just wanted to look at it from that standpoint. And she concluded that she would go to court and swear under oath that in her expert opinion, Paul Freshour absolutely wrote every one of those letters. Okay, so those are differing opinions wow. from experts. So, here's what I think. And again, this is just speculation because I have no effing clue what happened here. But I actually do think, sorry profiler, you can get it wrong. It's just a letter, not a person. Um, I think a lot of people were involved in writing the letters. I think not necessarily even knowing that like multiple people were doing this. I feel like once it started, it was a way for people to anonymously like accuse people of things, like pull out people's dirty laundry. So like, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, that if after Ron died and they concluded it was an accident, if Paul Fresh was the person writing that there was a cover up and that it was a murder because he was, harassing the police to look into it investigate further so it wouldn't shock me if he was that letter writer accusing them of the cover-up it also maybe wouldn't shock me to think that um why didn't anyone ever wonder if gordon massey's wife wrote any of those first like she's never mentioned um or one of gordon massey's children who were like you know in their late late teens like 18 19 when this all started and maybe they knew about the affair and this was like their way of trying to get her to stop so I can't tell you who it is. I don't know if we'll ever know because they, they might be dead. Um, but I, I think that it became this vehicle for people to out people's dirty secrets in this small town that had clearly a lot of fucking That's, secrets.
0: Yeah, yeah, yikes.
1: And I, I just think the townspeople of Circleville, Ohio took advantage of this, this person because clearly if you can just copy it. It can look an awful lot the same, right? It's block lettering, it's all caps, uh, and everybody was receiving them, so people would have examples, right, you know, in their homes. So that's my conclusion. Interesting. You have any thoughts? Do uh, you think Paul did it?
0: I, my heart says no, that Paul Paul didn't do it. I was thinking more Karen, but then again, because it takes a lot of like crazy if it was one person to,
1: to generate exactly. so I mean, many. That's like a mentally unhinged human being that yeah. has a lot of time on their hands and also somehow has access to all of this information. Yeah. That's so I wild. did watch, I did watch, apparently, there's a, like a spinoff of Drunk History that's called Drunk Mystery. Oh, fun. Where they recreate like the unsolved mysteries vibe, but the people are drunk, just like Drunk History. And uh, Georgia Hardstark from My Favorite Murder, she's the one telling this story. Oh,
0: my God. That would be and great. And it's really
1: funny because at the end, They're like, who do you think did that? You know, (laughs) all drunkenly. And um, I can't remember if it was her idea or the host's, um, and I can't think of his name, the host's idea. But they were like, it was Mary Gillespie (laughs) all along. She was writing the letters to herself as a way to get Ron to leave her. So oh, she could that's be with an Gordon, theory. and that she knew all of this info because she was a bus driver, and all she did was listen to the little children of the residents of Circleville ch- chat all the day long. <laughs> that was never floated anywhere, but Drunk Mystery. Yeah. But I figured I figured I'd throw <laughs> that one out there as well. But that is, I just think, I don't think we're ever going to know. And it's in a crazy. way, that's absolutely maddening. Yeah, it is
0: maddening. I, I like. It's like, is
1: there is there DNA? Right. Check.
0: Like, can we
1: go back and check DNA from like the stamps, the, the seal, the actual, I mean, because through like genealogy, like genetic testing, I bet they could figure out who it was and they could figure out if it was more than one person.
0: That'd be amazing. I would love that. Well, I'll tell you, I learned that how the hell do you get people's addresses? I actually, that I didn't learn. (laughs) I I don't, I was actually just thinking we're going on vacation, you know, and I'm like, oh, I want to send postcards. I'm like, how do I find out where people live? I guess I have to ask them.
1: Because yeah, it's not do. like it's there's weird. a phone
0: book anymore. I guess back right. in those days, there's you can look it up and there's a phone book and you see people's.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm and people like, move around a lot too. Yeah. I know. Part of me is like, in the early days, right? Of this whole thing. I'm like, why weren't, like, why didn't Paul and Mary and Ron and Karen, like, why weren't they like, state like when the sign started going up yeah. why didn't they go out even earlier I and like hide too. in the bushes or something and catch that person Yeah, i would have staked uh, out absolutely so i feel like i don't know if we'll ever know but um i learned that letters are really powerful Mm. and they Mm. can they can destroy lives and they can be the start of love uh but words are powerful the pen is mightier than the sword how many other cliches yeah (laughs) um but no but that like letters are powerful things um Mm. and also we should start writing letters again as long as they're kind yeah don't don't stop and harass people (laughs) yeah no you've got hate mail no hate mail no hate mail, just love mail. Love mail. But not unwanted love mail. Exactly. Let's be specific. That's right. But speaking of love, we love you Rom Criminals. Yes, we do. And we will see you next Tuesday. Thanks for listening.